0: Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're watching online, we're excited that you're here. Uh, we've, we've had a lot more people start watching online uh, out of state recently, and I'm still trying to figure out what is going on with that. And then I found out it's a lot of your relatives. Actually, someone just told me my grandma watches in Indiana. So hi, grandma. Excited that you're, you're here with us. Uh, uh, we are uh, We're a church that's trying to figure out a pretty complex question, and that's how to be human beings connected to the Creator who made them, in spite of the mess that a lot of us uh, experience in day-to-day, everyday life. And we're trying to do it in a setting that, uh, that can be painful and can also be really, really beautiful. And so that's what we're doing here right now. We're not just here to, to, to only learn, we're not just here to, to, to make friends. We're here to, to try and meet and engage our God. And I want to say that the worship set we just had, uh, some of that happened. There was a really sweet spirit in the room, uh, and I had a lot of people looking around, like, 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 almost like we had this little mini breakthrough or something going on. And I don't know if I've heard the, this particular service sing quite as loud as you did, and I just want to continue to encourage you to, uh, to try it out. I know singing's not for everybody, but, uh, but I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to continue to be worshipers, continue to be learners, continue to be willing to sit in, in conversation and, uh, and be the church that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Uh, so we're, we're in uh, week two of a brand new series. This series will last all summer. It's called Oaks from Ashes. Uh, it's based on a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, where it talks about uh, what God wants to do with his people, how he wants to trade Uh, uh, their ashes for beautiful headdresses, uh, for for crowns, if you will, and how, in the end, he wants to plant them by streams as great oaks. And the whole idea of the series is really kind of chasing this concept of abiding and what it means to actually do what I just said earlier, which is sit in relationship with God. And so each week, we're going to look at an ancient spiritual practice. Um, also known as a spiritual discipline. But I I think practice is a little easier word for us to understand and digest. And I want to make sure that we understand why, that we're not just doing this to be clever. We're not just doing this to to scratch some sort of spiritual itch on our yearly calendar of all the things that we must cover in order to be a a healthy, well-taught church. We're doing this because of uh, our condition as humans. There are currently over 8 billion other people just like you alive on this planet. Eight billion people that are striving to live a life full of meaning, that, that, are, that are trying to live a life filled with hope and love and all the other things that all of us want. The problem, of course, is that the world we all live within is morally misaligned. It's out of balance. It's not running on all cylinders and... I think most of us know that, even though we may not spend a lot of time actually thinking about it. It's not that hard to see, though, if we really stop and look. We can, uh, we can look at all the hatred. We can look at the violence, the racism, the oppression, the injustice, the greed, the lust for power, the games we play in order to make someone else smaller than ourselves. It's hard. It's hard to be a Uh, a good person sometimes, as we like to say, in a world filled with avenues and opportunities to get ahead in a different way. No one actually disagrees. This is a problem, by the way. I've I've, I've given my little spiel so far to, to a few hundred people, and no one's come up and been like, I don't agree that the world's misaligned. No one. Now, what people have disagreed on so far is where it's misaligned and how far out of alignment it is. And if I allow the conversation to go far enough, a lot of people have answers on how to fix it. (laughs) Well, if we would just do this, we could realign it a little further this direction. Well, don't you know if people would just get on board with this, we could align it a little further this direction. And it's true. We do have ideas because it's how we're made. We don't want to see this stuff going on around our lives. And so we respond. And sometimes we respond in huge groups that are organized and powerful and actually do kind of move the needle a little bit more towards balance. We call these things revolutions. And they're beautiful and they're powerful. And they often bring with them some temporary good, but rarely do they leave lasting change. This is because the problem we have in this world is not a societal problem or a governmental problem or a justice problem. It's not even a church problem. Dallas Willard said, the cause of the distressed human condition, individual and social, and its only possible cure is a spiritual one. The world we all live in has a spiritual problem. Jesus himself says this in John 16. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. He being the solution to the problem. For here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. As Chandra said, we are on this side of heaven, if you will. And on this side of heaven we will continue to have these problems caused by this misalignment. It is Jesus who gives us the hope and the strength to trust in him who has already overcome the world. But we're still in this world following his spirit trying our very best to live out with his strength the call upon our lives. I read a quote by Anna Weishart this week. She said this, Life on this earth is a great many things, but easy isn't one of them. Amidst the many wonders and great beauties of the world, we've all got to admit that life is also a deep struggle, a striving, a desperate, not-quite-rightness that's been plaguing us since that infamous day in the garden. It's depressing to really think about. I mean, this isn't the most encouraging sermon opener I've ever given. (laughs) That's why I wasn't on week one. It's week two, people. You've already bought in by now. But when you really stop and look at it, you you start to see it. And it doesn't have to be just in the big things, just in the news stories, just in the plagues or the wars or the fires or the famines. It doesn't have to be just those giant things, often things that aren't maybe impacting our lives directly. It can be in an empty crib in a nursery that's used for storage instead of dreams. There's a misalignment there. It can be in an elderly man sitting alone at a coffee shop while everybody else has somebody at the table to talk to but him. It can be in the middle-aged single woman who never planned to end up alone. It can be in something as simple as a grandmother's silent phone. Or it could be in a high school senior scanning the crowd at his football game for a father he knows he won't find. God knows we each have to come to grips with brokenness we were never designed to experience. He knows we live in a misaligned world. He knows it because he lived it as well. He knows that this world traumatizes each human soul in its own way, often very slowly and over time. This series is going to speak both directly from and to that place, that misaligned place that place where God knows our struggle and provides a solution to it, that is the place of abiding with Christ that we are trying as a community to find. This series is going to have a, what I'm going to call like a backbone verse or an anchor verse. We're going to continue to reference it because I think it's a really beautiful invitation for uh, us to go back to, to study, to pull apart uh, because it's a beautiful opportunity to understand abiding from, from Jesus' perspective. It's a Matthew 11... verses 28 through 30. It's Jesus talking about himself. This is what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds nothing like, like what the rest of the world is offering The rest of the world is work harder, do better, be smarter, be more refined, be more powerful, lift heavier things, overcome. Jesus is like, "Mm, how about you just come to me? How about you swap that heavy burden that's unbearable for my burden, which is light and completely bearable because I'll be the one that's actually carrying it. In all of scripture, by the way, This is the only time Jesus describes himself in adjectives instead of metaphors and images. The only time that he gives us a a glimpse into his heart, a glimpse inside the heart of God and who it is he says he is and how he invites us to come and be comforted by him through gentleness and lowliness. Be honest, when you think of Jesus, do you think of him that way? I don't. I've never, ever had a conversation with somebody and they're like, you know what I really love about Jesus? His lowliness. That has never happened. And yet it's it's his description of himself. Before answering that question, before really answering that question, though, I think there's probably a question we all have to answer before that one. I'll put this one up on the screen because we're going to talk about it a little bit further. And that's not just do you think of Jesus that way. It's do you ever actually just think about Jesus at all? Do you ever just sit with him on your mind, no other distractions, and think about Jesus? You would have to think about this description that he gives of himself. You would have to. You would have to put upon him gentleness and lowliness and all the other things that come with him being the burden bearer of your life. Doing this kind of thinking, by the way, this would be called meditation. And this is the first spiritual practice we are going to talk about. Now, I already gave this talk once earlier in the week. And uh, I got to tell you that I I felt and then experienced afterwards people who were honest about a little bit of pushback around this particular word. They suddenly were like, whoa, meditation. Is this some sort of Eastern philosophy kind of thing? Whoa, where's our church going now? We're starting to talk about meditation. I'm a prayer person. I'm not a meditator. When you think about meditation, what's the first image that comes to your mind? Just be honest, and then I'll put it on the screen. Is it this one? How many people, that's what you thought of first thing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, or, or a concept like this, right? An idea like this. That, that you're going to sit somewhere with your legs crossed, and you're going to put your fingers together, and you're going to hum really slowly, Right? This, this is not the, the, the real full meditation we are actually talking about. And actually all of that, all of that has been stolen from the Bible. Meditation is a, is, a, is a God thing. It's something that we are built to do and it realigns us oftentimes with at least what's directly in front of us for that particular day. Meditation, at its just base definition, is the act of focusing one's mental energies on a specific topic in an, in an effort to achieve resolution or peace of mind. Most, uh, more specifically, in the Bible, meditation means to stand in the middle. As if you're standing in the middle of the earth you exist in and the spiritual realm that's trying to reach you. That's also where the word mediator comes from, by the way. It's the same root word as meditation. Where someone stands in the middle between two opposing forces and helps connect them together. And so this is what meditation does. It stands in the middle between your world, right? At this, this world that you live in, the same world that I live in, and this very rich and deep spiritual world that is oftentimes trying to push into the place that you exist. But that you and I are so busy with our minds and our, and, our, and our lives filled with so much other noise and so many other images and so much color and so much hard things and beautiful things and good things and bad things that we don't have time for spiritual things. Meditation is the practice of slowing down to actually sit inside that space. Meditation was common in the Bible times. Joshua 1.8, this is God talking to Joshua as he's about to to cross into the promised land. This is what he says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, the one that was given to Moses, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is a powerful verse for lots of reasons. And you can do a a word study on this if you want. Uh, I had a a professor-pastor kind of break down this passage. And to my understanding, this is the only time in the Bible that God himself uses the word success. And it's tied directly to meditation and obedience. He's saying, Joshua, take what I've told you, what I've given my servant Moses, and meditate on it. Don't pray it to me. I already know it. Don't pray it goes well if I cross the river. I'm already telling you it's going to. Meditate on it. Clear all other distractions out of the way and be obedient. And if you can do that, you will find success. I'm not saying that that that's where all success lies, I'm just saying God defines a little bit of it that way. Meditation is everywhere. What about when Isaac is is trying to figure out what to do next in his life, and still in the Old Testament, says Genesis 24, 63, he didn't know what to do, so he went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there was a train of camels coming, the answer to his problem. He didn't know what else to do, so he goes out and meditates. The Psalms are filled with exhortations to meditate on all the qualities of God. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's not even encouraging like, God, let the words of my mouth and let me have enough self-discipline to meditate. He's like, no, God, you evaluate the words I say with my mouth and the things that happen in my mind. Let them be acceptable to you, O God, to you, my Redeemer. How about Psalm 145.5? On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. This word does not belong to the spiritualists. It doesn't belong to any other kind of system. This word is something that belongs to humanity, and it is a way that God has built us to function that most of us, Don't engage at all. But we're not just supposed to do it for fun. We're not just supposed to do it so we can tell other people that we meditated earlier this morning and we feel really calm and peaceful. It has purpose. Meditating correctly lifts our hearts up in communion with God, and so our focus is on him and not ourselves. It realigns. Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me. Really listen to that opening verse. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I don't know about you, but I think being fully aligned with God's presence and will is a security of flesh in both this world and of spirit in the next. And yet I love the opening line, I have set the Lord always before me. Doesn't God set wherever he wants in your life? Doesn't God just move around inside your story and do whatever he wants to do? Apparently not. This verse highlights so well why meditation is so important. I'll put it on the screen. Yes, God may always be with you and me, but it is I who sets him before me. Because... It is he who wants to be at the center of all that I'm doing. But the reality is I have the power to be distracted enough. You have the power to deny God's presence in your life. Meditation happens when you prioritize God. It is your responsibility to set God before you. It is an action you actually do. Yes, sometimes he just slams down right in front of you. It's usually when I'm being a total spiritual brat. That God just rolls in, grabs him by the cheeks, and he's like, Hey. And I do that thing that, remember when your kids were little and you used to make one of them to look at you, you'd hold their face and then they would just move their eyes to the left or the right and still, still not look at you. Do you remember that? That's often how I find God. And he's like, Look at me. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm not looking at you. I'm gonna do my own thing. And God's like, Danny, clear your mind, clear your agenda, clear your calendar, spend some time with me. Let's talk about you and the ways you're buying into this misaligned world. Richard Foster says that setting the Lord before me is the beginning stage of the contemplative life. This is this is such a miss for us as Christians, uh, that we don't, when people come to Christ, that, that we don't teach them right away that the first thing they have to do is daily set God before them. We teach them to pray to God when they're going through trials. We teach them to tithe, that's for certain, because we've got to keep the lights on. We teach them to get into a small group right away. But I have yet to see, like, someone go, You just came to Christ. The first thing I want to teach you to do is actually set Him before you on a daily, in a daily way so that you can engage with His will for your life and your story. Never seen it done. And I've built all those classes, by the way. It's just not taught in the church. it's, it's, It's been branded as something that it's not, as something that is misaligned, when really it's one of the greatest keys to realignment. There's this idea when we meditate, in Scripture anyways, upon God and His ways, that we are detaching from our own agendas and self-focused ways, which is a good and necessary step. This is why I think the world loves meditation, why mindfulness is all the rage, because I think people have seen themselves get get into a cycle of choosing only what they want over and over and over and seeing the carnage that kind of happens from that. And so when you can become a person who reads mindfulness books or listens to mindfulness podcasts or hums, you know, like Rafiki in your backyard, sitting with your legs crossed, you're like, oh, this, something about this feels really right. And the thing that feels right is the detachment. But meditation, based on scripture, is not just about detachment, it's also about reattachment. Christian meditation goes far beyond just detaching from my own selfishness, from my own internal misalignment. Peter of Salis, a Benedictine monk of the 12th century, put it this way, using a really well-known passage. 12th century wisdom, this is what he says. There is a danger in thinking only in terms of detachment. When it comes to meditation, as Jesus indicates in his story of the man who had been emptied of evil, but not filled with good. Do you remember this story when Jesus illustrates kind of what it means when you detach without reattaching? It's in Luke 11. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept Put and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. In this teaching, Jesus is pointing out that the last state of the man becomes worse than the first because he he detached from the evil spirits, but he didn't reattach to the spirit of God. Foster adds to this: detachment is not enough. We must go on to attachment. The detachment from the confusion all around us is in order to have a richer attachment to God. Christian meditation leads us to the inner wholeness necessary to give ourselves to God freely. Has anybody else, I'm just going to ask it in this service, has anybody else learned this from a biblical perspective? Can you just raise your hands? I'm not going to call you out or make you do anything. Just learn from a biblical perspective the importance of meditation. There are nine hands in the room. <laughs> and I got like 50 more verses if you still want to argue with me that meditation is important, by the way. What happened? Where, where did we, where did we get to a place where this is like brand new? And I know some of you have been Christians for 60 plus years. Where did we get to a place in, in our church lives, in our church communities, more importantly, in our individual spiritual practices, that this incredibly important part is detaching and, and not reattaching and completely left out of the toolbox for most of our lives altogether. This is an incredibly important tool, and do you know why? Do you know why it's the first one that I'm teaching? Because I believe this is actually the tool that is the gateway for all the other tools to actually take root in our lives. Because as we walk through each of the spiritual practices, do you know what you're supposed to do with them? Do you know what you're supposed to do with them before you just grab them from the sermon and go, yep, I'm going to do that. Do you know? You're supposed to meditate on them. We're going to talk about guidance. We're going to talk about celebration. We're going to talk about worship. You're not just supposed to go, okay, yeah, cool. I'll go ahead and take that, and I'll take that, and I'm going to plug it into my life. No, you're supposed to go with God and say, God, where am I out of balance with worship? Where am I out of balance with with, uh, guidance? God, where am I out of balance with learning to to grieve well. We are supposed to meditate upon these things so that the Spirit of God can parse them out and apply them in a custom way to our lives based on who we are, what we've experienced, and what the Lord knows is ahead of us. No wonder church just doesn't work very often because we just skip to the stuff that benefits the system. Instead of the stuff that actually completely reframes the meaning of what it means to be a spiritual being in relationship with the Creator of all, that was completely off book and uh, probably for somebody in this room today. Sorry about that. I'm not really that sorry, but you know, thanks for wrecking the room. (laughs) So, with this understanding, where do we start? How do we, where do we start if we just were like, Okay, I've got I to plug into this. What do I do? I think the answer is pretty clear that you start with Scripture. You don't start with sermons. You don't start with books. You don't start with podcasts or even music. You start most common in, in most of our spiritual uh, practices, you're going to see that you go back and start with Scripture. We know that God speaks in and through Scripture. Jesus said in John 6, it is the Spirit who gives life, and then he's pretty honest, the flesh is no help at all. <laughs> Jesus doesn't mince any words at all. He's just like, meh. It is the spirit that gives life. Flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is what you focus on. Meditation upon scripture is the central reference point upon which all other forms of meditation are kept in proper perspective. That's how you keep it aligned. And suddenly don't end up, you know, with a jar of beads somewhere, throwing chicken bones on the ground. Like, that stuff's not, that's not what we're about. Somebody's like, I can't believe i got to get rid of my chicken bones. That's so frustrating. I had no idea. Meditation on scripture simply centers on internalizing and personalizing the passage that you're reading. In this way, the written word becomes what we commonly call the living word. But the scripture becomes written to living through meditation through asking God, what does this mean for me? How does this apply to my life? What do I do with it now? What parts of it do I set down for a season and, and not don't believe, but I don't maybe pick up and carry forward into this next particular battle that I'm facing because there's other things that you're teaching me in scripture. I've seen a lot of times where people will be like in their, and I'm all about the the. The yearly Bible reading, I think it's great. But I think meditating on the yearly Bible reading where you start at the beginning of the year and you go through is critical. If all you're doing is trying to get through it so you can get like a spiritual Cub Scout badge, what often happens is people start taking the verse of the week, which could be something in Leviticus that's completely obscure, and then applying it to like the boardroom meeting they have later in the week they have anxiety about. That's not going to be any good. And you're like, well, it's the Bible. Yep. And it's talking about, you know practices of offering and how to approach the tabernacle and you're like and that's what i'm going to do in my boardroom meeting i'm going to walk in like the priest of god that i know i am Mm, maybe not maybe meditate on it a little bit (laughs) maybe ponder with the holy spirit where he wants to apply that or maybe maybe he wants to gently encourage you to walk into some other passages meditating on the words of god allow us to experience it in a deeper way and it allows us to apply it to our lives in real time but only if we are serious about going after it this is one of the practices you can't um you can't not actually be serious about you can't be like i think i'm going to meditate and just like driving your car and have your music playing while your, your wife's talking and you're like <laughs> zoning out, you know, meditating, which is what some of you as husbands right now are like, that's what I should tell her I'm doing when I'm not listening. Sorry, honey, I was meditating with the Lord right now. It's, I wasn't not listening to you. I was trying to engage the Holy Spirit. And she's not going to believe that, by the way. You can't just just pretend this stuff. You have to actually <clears throat> go after it. This is the coolest tie that I found to the way we are supposed to meditate on scripture. And I stole this from Eugene Peterson, by the way. He highlights a particular verse. Isaiah 31.4 For thus says the Lord to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Did you know, I didn't, that the Hebrew word for growls is the same word as the Hebrew word for meditate. So this is the posture we are supposed to take over God's word. Does anybody else read the Bible like this? Nobody growls over God's word. Nobody's like like the enemy's coming to try to take away the sustenance that this is giving me and I growl and I hover treasuring it fearlessly protecting it devouring it knowing that without it i will perish nobody reads the bible that way that i know of and i'm not trying to be maybe somebody in here reads the bible that way i think if i'm being honest most people read the bible like this (laughs) So, so offensive i know You can get a mean scratch, though, out of that right there. Like, I mean, somebody with that level of spiritual insight could lead a mean Bible study into contemplative nothingness. Go back to the other picture, if you would. This is how we're supposed to read it. This is how we're supposed to consume it. We're supposed to need it as much as as that lion would need that for its very life it's supposed to feel like it's ours and nobody else's. When meditating like that, the goal becomes to take a single passage, idea, or word, and allow it the necessary time to ingest, to take root inside you in order to bring you the nourishment you need. By the way, because often God's principles work in reverse, I don't know if you've ever realized that. We're gonna see this a lot inside this series. Um, meditating in this way brings nourishment to you. But when negative words, for instance, are spoken over you, and you don't let those words go, but wake up every morning thinking about what that friend said or that parent said or that teacher said or that coworker said. And you spend time chewing on those words and ingesting those negative words and protecting those negative words. Somebody says something about your body, right? So now you have this body image thing and somebody else is like, that's not truth. That's, that's, that's not truth. That's the lie. And you're like, no, this is my lie. It belongs to me. That also is a form of meditation. As you protect those things that bring harm to you because you don't know what else to replace them with, then you are filling your body with that misaligned toxins. I believe that meditation will be probably the most important uh, spiritual practice we talk about when it comes to whether this series will work or not. And that's why the tone is a little more probably somber than you're used to. If you're a guest today, I promise that I'm not normally quite this straightforward. I'm always straightforward, but I normally have a few more highs and lows. I know some of you are telling people like, I promise he's usually a lot funnier. (laughs) But I really believe in my heart that if we don't understand this, then when the next ones come... it'll just be based on how well the sermon goes or the closing song goes or the book that you happen to pick out of our resources go instead of you sitting before God and saying, God, how do I apply this to who I am and where you want me to go? So with all that in mind, allow me to read that anchor verse one more time and ask the question I first started with. Jesus is speaking to you, not to your neighbor, not to the people of the time, not to me, but to you. He says your name, and then he says, come to me. You who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I am gentle and lowly. Allow me to come up alongside you and lift this thing that you've been carrying, this this body image thing that you've been carrying, this story of shame that you've been carrying, this pride that you've been carrying, this, this need to always have the answers that you've been carrying, this fear that you've been carrying. He says, come to me and allow me to carry it. Allow me to ask that question again one more time. When you think of Jesus, do you think of him in that way? Offering to carry those things in your life. What words do a gentle and lowly Jesus speak to you in your current story? In your current space of relationship with God and with those around you? With your current space of loneliness or hurriedness? Or some sort of idol worship other than what it is God has called you to? Or some sort of other way that you've been finding strength through a coping mechanism Coping mechanism you know is going to continue to rob you of joy. What words do a gentle and lowly Jesus speak to those with an empty crib, or who feel hopelessly alone, or who are single and never planned to end up that way, or who are waiting for a phone call, or a father that never shows up? These are the spiritual problems that Jesus wants to address. And he wants to meet you in this place of meditation. This week, as a church, I'm asking us to try it. To try to meditate on what this Jesus wants to say to you in your current story, on the gentle and lowly aspects of who he is in relationship to the things you're going through. I want you to try it each day for just 60 seconds. 60 seconds a day where you turn off the noise, where you sit somewhere with no distraction, where you detach from the things in your life, maybe even that give you great strength and hope and, and, and keep you comfortable. You just detach and you offer a reattachment to the one who made you. This is a really powerful thing, by the way, for those of you who are spiritually curious to 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 detach from, from maybe the doubt just for 60 seconds and maybe just say, God, if you're real, meet me here. Through gentle and lowly ways, remind me, show me, teach me, introduce me to who you are. Allow me to abide with you as I am. It's not complicated. It's it's actually maybe one of the easiest ones to do if you'll be willing to trust that he will find you. So, it's all a lot of talk if we don't actually try it, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to try it right here in this room. 60 seconds of just of just us, I literally saw a bunch of people shift. Like, like, what, You just shifted like we were going on a roller coaster. You're like, all right, I'm ready for this thing. Like, let's hit it down. <gasps> I'm ready, right? Like, relax, it's not. You're gonna, people put down purses just now. People were like, I see one lady in the back trying to cross her legs right now. Just relax, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's good to be uncomfortable sometimes. It's important that we know that uh, not, all the, not all growth happens right in the, uh, on those beautiful sunlit mountaintops. Most of the fruit's in the valley, folks. Most of the fruit's in the valley. So sometimes we gotta go to these uncomfortable places. And uh, I think it's important we do it together. So what I'm gonna do, my posture for this has been so far, just sitting as I am, but having my hands uh, uh, turned up. And I think it's because I have stuff to release. That's just me. I have stuff to release. I have stuff to ask God to take. I've got stuff that I continue to wrestle with. I got, like, I got some of those things that I'm like, man, at this age, it feels like I should be better at that. So I'm gonna release. I, I saw somebody else recently say they did their hands like this because they, they have stuff to uh, grab onto. They have things to, to hold that they're afraid of. You do whatever you want with your hands. You can fold them, you can put them by your side. But uh, what we're gonna do is close our eyes. You don't have to bow your head. You're gonna close your eyes and then we're gonna sit for 60 seconds. We're gonna try and detach. And we're going to ask individually for God to show us where, uh, where he might want us to reattach. Not expecting great miracles, but recognizing this could become a practice for all of us throughout at least this week to try, if not maybe the rest of our spiritual lives. You ready? Just put all your purses down. Everybody. All right. <laughs> all right. Lord, in a room like this, there are so many questions, there are so many concerns, there are so many things happening that that only you can find, only you can uncover, only you can meet. For some, Lord, that was the longest 60 seconds of their life. For others, they just got an answer. For others, it's filled with doubt. For others, it's filled with fear. For others, it's filled with strength and hope and encouragement. And God, you are okay and inside all of it. What we ask, Lord, is that what we leave here today is a desire to know you as you know us, to deliberately every day set you before us, To not always wait, God, till the next crisis comes and drives us to our knees as we cry out to you to save us or help us or show us the way, but that, Lord, we stop in the midst of wherever we are, in the valley or the mountain or on the slope, on the side, to stop and set you before us for worship, for conviction, for teaching, for comfort. relationship God I pray in this room that you would you would just move inside the hearts of every person here wherever they're at that they would know that you are more than just a tradition or a church service or a sermon or a song that you are the one who made them you know everything about them every speck of color in their eyes, Lord, every hope that's gone unanswered, every dream that's yet to be fulfilled, you know them. And so, Lord, may we as a community and as individuals, as parents, as coworkers, as men and women and young people here in this city or far, far away listening, may we strive to sit face to face with you, We love you, Lord. We lift the rest of this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well done. Well done. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, We'll see you next week. Uh, Remember, do the best you can, 60 seconds, wherever you can, without distraction, and uh, trust that he'll show up.